Welcome to Decades from Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com, and as always, I'm joined by co-host Dilly Algemer to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey, Dilly, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Nick. I'm peachy. Peachy? Wow. You sound very chipper. Should make for uh-huh. a good podcast. What's been crossing your uh, your desk this week? What's on your mind? My desk and my mind. Um Nick, you wanted to hear something funny. You asked if some anything funny happened last week. Yeah, yeah. I'm always looking for the funny stories. Okay, here you go. So, did you know that there is a Christian Soda on Twitter? Another Soda? Oh, God. I feel like this is going to go sideways. <laughs> so, he's been commenting on the Elton Guild. Elton Guild is what uh, parents get from the state. Mm-hmm. when So, you have a baby. Mm-hmm. And then usually it's the birthing parent who stays at home mm-hmm. and takes care of the baby. And you have like 14 months of holiday, but I wouldn't call it a holiday. You have 14 months off of work. My wife calls it a holiday. I mean, this sounds very familiar. and It rings a bell. <laughs> <laughs> I was being nice. Uh, no, I, I mean, you know, it, I don't know whether it's a holiday actually. So you have no. 14 months off of work and the 14 months can be divided between the two partners. Correct, yeah. And so one person is not going to work, the birthing parent, and then mm-hmm. they get about 1,800 euros from mm-hmm. the state and this is called Elton Guild. Mm-hmm. And the government wants to bring in a reform. Mm-hmm. So if you already have a combined income of 300,000 euros, you get Elton Guild. Or or below. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the limit. But now they want to halve it. So if you have a combined taxable income of 150,000 euros Mm -hmm. or lower, then you get Elton Guild. If you earn more than that, then you don't. All right. Yeah. Um, I I hadn't really been paying attention to all this because ironically, I've been focusing on parenting <laughs> to not pay attention to the new changes to the Elton Geld uh, rules. But I mean, uh, yeah, that sounds fairly reasonable. I, I mean, uh, are you have you got a beef with that? I do have some beef with it. If you earn so much, so this is what this guy is saying. So if you earn so much that you don't want to have kids because you will not be eligible for the 1800 um, a month for 14 mm-hmm. months, then maybe you should think about whether really you want kids in your life. Is that what he said on Twitter? He That is what he said on Twitter. That's pretty wild. So this is what's funny about it. So I was like, oh, look at that, a bot account, because that's the kind of account where you would see such a take. Mm-hmm. Then I clicked some more and it is not a bot. Christian Söder is... The faucet uh, sender. What is a faucet sender? It's, it's sort of like the, um, this, it's not CEO, but it's kind of like the chairman, right? He's a chairman for the SPD in Mannheim, Ost. So it's it's an actual person in politics. All right. So you assumed that because his take was so spicy that it must only have come from some kind of bot account. And it turns out that this guy's actually <laughs> quite a high up position. Yeah. In the uh, C- C- uh, SPD, sorry. He says like pretty outlandish stuff in his replies on the thread. So it wasn't just this one tweet. And uh, I mean, for instance, he says something like, if you earn 180,000 euros mm-hmm. as a combined income 
before taxes. And if you don't manage to save 25,000 euros off of that, maybe you are probably living beyond your means. Mm-hmm. For a politician to come up with these hypothetical situations and the corresponding judgments, when people have taken this into account, when they have been planning their weddings, marriages, babies, whatnot, it seems a bit brutal. I mean, am I meant to be feeling bad for people who are earning over 150 grand a year? Is that what you're trying to get me to to feel bad about? Because that's kind of that seems like what you're you're telling me is it it's not fair on the people who earn more than 150 grand that they can't claim benefits from the state. I can see why you want to um, put words in my mouth, Nick. But, <laughs> no, um... Wasn't I just thought that's what you were saying? <laughs> is that not what you're saying? I shouldn't feel bad. I should. I should. What, what are you? What are you saying essentially? What's the beef? Well, the beef is we have these kind of payments so that the birthing parent. I mean, it's usually a woman and you have uh, women taking time off their work lives and the money that gets paid into their pension takes a hit off of this. So usually it's the man who earns more in a heterosexual Mm -hmm. partnership. Mm -hmm. And imagine that men will have to keep on working. They will not be able to take part in the caregiving duties, they will not be as involved as they hope to be in bringing up the baby in the baby's first few months. We are taking a big leap backwards, are we not? What, because we're not giving people over 150,000 euros state benefits? You're saying that's a step backwards? Because personally, I kind of think it's a step forwards. <laughs> I, I get your point about the... Uh, the pensions, mm-hmm. and I think the treatment, like I, 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 this is this this in isolation, is different from like the general kind of shabbiness of the system. Like I'm currently going through that. Mm-hmm. It's not very flexible. The system of taking time off, mm-hmm. like you have to take two months minimum if you want to take one month yeah. as a um, a non birthing partner. So that's not great, and I, that's my experience recently. But I don't really, huh. I mean, you have to unpack it. What's the reason why they're doing this? Well, it's part of this new budget that the finance yeah. minister, Christian Lindner, is putting into place. Yeah. And the aim is to save, in this instance, 290 million euros to bring the sort of spending of the government down to about 8 billion euros. I think that's roughly the, the budget that we're working with. Mm-hmm. And um, the question is, do you need that money if you earn 150 grand a year? Do you need that cash, really? Like it, it, you're getting, what is it, 200 odd euros you get in a month or something from the state? It's not 200 odd, right? Isn't it 1,800 a month? Um, you're thinking of Kindergeld. Oh, sorry, I'm thinking of Kindergeld. You're right. Yeah. Apologies. That yeah. is um, the money you get for a child. Yeah, yeah. So you're talking about, but it, it's it, it, the money goes down incrementally every month until the last month where you're in and you're not really making that much money. The money doesn't stay at that position. Mm-hmm. And so. I kind of feel like the question would be, why do you need to save the money? Why do we need to make the cut? And I kind of feel like it's a lose-lose situation. And if you're going to tax anyone, tax the rich. Yeah, that's my, yeah. my, that's my philosophy. Yeah. And if this, is, if this is a way of saving money without taking money out of other pots, then I'm all for it personally. I think everyone should be entitled to certain benefits, but there has to be a limit at some point. 
the idea that people on 300 grand a year are, ch- are claiming money from the state seems like that's the current situation it seems a bit ripe really it seems a bit like you want to take out tax money that could be spent in other places just because you're entitled to it doesn't mean you should necessarily do it okay so the government is trying to save a huge chunk in the next budget but do we know mm. where that money is going to be directed oh no i mean that would be the other side of the debate is like do you trust the government to spend that effectively no. and and the other side no. of that discussion is no not no. really <laughs> i don't really trust the government <laughs> any government to spend money effectively there'll always be waste but i don't know i i think if you're going to pinpoint anybody the wealthier the ones that I'd, I'd pinpoint I think Spiegel had an article on this about like what constitutes wealth, mm-hmm. and they're talking about is it something like seven, seven, over seven thousand, seven and a half thousand yeah, uh, euros month. of disposable income means that you're, you're 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 wealthy, and I think that's a reasonable estimate. I don't know. I just think that like, well, what is what's the money for? What's the purpose of the money? Are we just making rich people richer? Like, is that it? Is it a way of just sustaining people's wealth? Or is it actually helping people? Is that the aim of the state? Is to support those who can't support themselves and to, I mean, ultimately tax, you tax things when you want people to do those things less mm-hmm. and you incentivize and create benefits to, to um, incentivize people to do the things you want them to do. So if your plan is to incentivize people of all stripes to have kids, then you would make it so there was no limits to it. But at the same time, like, I don't, I, I think it incentivizes people who can't necessarily afford to have kids or have, who are struggling financially. That's the people you want to necessarily, you want to support when, if, they, if and when they have kids. I mean, some people plan to have kids, some people don't and find themselves in, in, in dire straits because if they're, they're, they're suddenly having a child that we hadn't planned for. So I think in those instances, that's the where the money should be going. But I just don't. I find it very hard to muster any level of sympathy for people who are well off. Like they're the same people ultimately who want they want low tax. This they're the, the same people who who will complain about people on Hartvia, and I'm just like I just don't really have much sympathy. If I was earning 150 grand, the last thing I'd be doing is taking money from the state uh, for anything. Uh, I mean, on the other hand. Okay, so it's a combined income, right? So what if the woman earns more? What if the birthing partner earns more? And they have to stay at home because it's also about recovery and feeding the baby maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then what? I mean, this is pushing people into traditional gender roles. Is it though? I don't know. They can still take time off. They can still take two months. They can take three months. They can you can you can split that that forty months equally between the two of you if you want. That's how you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm going through this experience right now, and not to delve too deeply into the um, into the finances of my family, but like I'm not the highest earner in our family, put it that way. Mm-hmm. And currently, my wife's on uh, maternity leave, and she will be for another year. Mm-hmm. And to solve the problem of the gap in income, I'm getting a second job. So, I mean, like if I had 150 oh. grand, well, yeah, no, but that's the reality, right? So that's the reality of this situation. So you have a little baby at home and you have to work a second job. Potentially, yeah. But like that's the reality of the world. Doesn't mean I'm going to have any necessarily any less time with my kids. I use make time, don't you? Like you have to. 
or else you're not a very good parent if you're not ultimately it becomes more difficult the more jobs you put on top of that and if we're talking about people whose both parents have to work in some capacity or one of the parents is on is doing parental leave for a shorter amount of time or, or whatever those are the people i want to help I am not crying tears for people who are earning over 150 grand who are like, I want money from the state. I pay my taxes. It's like, great. But like, I don't, I don't, I'm not wandering around claiming every, every possible benefit available to us. If I'm earning, I'm earning enough money. Why would I want to take money out of the state for that, for that purpose? You know, like I just, it just seems, it's, this seems like a miserliness to it. Mm -hmm. I don't need the money, but I'm entitled to the money. So I want the money. And like that isn't from in my mind isn't a strong enough argument. <laughs> like whichever way you look at it, whether it's the whether it's the the woman or the man doing the mm. job, in which whichever constellation we organise it. If I'm earning over a hundred grand a month, you've got to start asking questions then about do you really need state support, and what are you taking state support for exactly? What's the purpose of it? Is it just because you're entitled or is it because you actually need it? I don't necessarily think people who are earning over 150 grand need it. You just said that the main earner in your family is off of work for a year and you have to probably take a second job. Potentially, yeah. That's not the easiest thing to do for most families, for most people. I mean, people have different capabilities. Not everyone is capable of having a full-time job and then a second job. Yeah, and, and those people should get state support for mm -hmm. sure, but they're not the same people who, who earn 150 grand. Like, they're just not. Like, I just, you'd have to give me the edgiest of edge cases. But, like, if it's someone who's got disabilities, of course they're, they're deserving of benefits. If it's someone who's who's got some kind of issue which means they can't work, of course they deserve mm -hmm. benefits, all right? But if we're talking about Elton Geld, and we're talking about the supporting supporting families when they have kids. Mm -hmm. What support does someone earning one hundred fifty over one hundred fifty grand need? How much support do they need? Like, there has to be some kind of. I would like I'd be embarrassed if that was me, if I'm the one making that argument. I'd feel kind of embarrassed if I had one hundred fifty grand income between the two of us, and I was still complaining about. But you won't have that, right? So that is. Prior to giving birth, we're talking about an instance where someone has just spent twelve months, have earned one hundred and fifty grand, suddenly has a kid, and now they're not going to earn one hundred and fifty grand the following month, but they might earn a hundred grand. <laughs> like how? Like the, the, it's not going to be a significant bump, is it? Wait. Uh, so if you're saying that, it means you're earning a hundred grand, but between two people, and you're caring yeah. for a third person. Okay, and so like, but then you'd have to give me, you'd have to give me the scenario where, like, if they've gone from earning one hundred and fifty grand to earning fifty grand between the two of them, mm. if the drop, if the, then it drops, then f yeah, like if they're earning two hundred grand and then suddenly they're only earning a fifty grand, well, that's one third. That that would be a shocking reduction in earnings. Yeah, that would surprise I think a lot of a lot of people. But in those instances, then you would get state support. Of course, you would get state support. But are you telling me that? But people that's who not are, the case, right? If you, if well, I mean, I think the case is if you've earned 150 grand the year before, what were yeah. you doing with your money? We live in a country as well. Remember, this is the other side of German German culture where routinely people save vast amounts of their earnings. So you've got to also assume if they're the average German who's earned 150 grand, 
let's say at least 50% of that has been saved, if not, if not just a bit less than that, right? How, like you're telling me they don't have savings. They don't have some kind of savings and some kind of um, security in their in their finances, or have they just earned 150 grand and then suddenly they're not earning any money the next year? Like, what is their what is their job that they earned 150 grand the year before, but now are earning no money at all? I'd, you'd have to you'd have to give me the examples, and I'd want to know I'd want to know all the details. I'd want to know everything as like what is how much is the house? How much like how much are their outgoings that they they cut they they're, they're suddenly in dire straits? Whether I agree with Christian Söder is 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 irrelevant. I think at this point, I don't mm. know that if I do uh, necessarily, but I do agree with the actual plan, which is why should the wealthy receive like state benefits? Like what? Here's here's a deal, right? If the people who earn 150 grand, if they mm. all come out and agree that we can hike the tax band up and we can start actually taxing people more efficiently. And and they're also the same people who will support an, a, an efficient and effective inheritance tax. Then I'm all on the, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, yeah. There's, yeah. The, there's yeah. the compromise. Yeah. But I bet you, I bet you um, a substantial amount of money, probably less than 150 grand, that they're not the people who want an effective inheritance tax. And they're yeah. not the people who want a higher tax band for their earnings. Like that, that, that's what it comes down to is, you can't on the one hand argue I shouldn't be taxed so heavily, but also go. I want state benefits. Like there's an inconsistency there that I think I think needs addressing. Maybe it's just the working class element of my psyche, or the desire to be working class, whatever you would perceive it as. But I just don't feel the concerns of the wealthy with any level of sincerity. And if the wealthy are having are complaining, it's about fucking time, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> What is it they said? I was listening to someone the other day and he said, how will we pay for this? And they said, well, we'll just tax the rich, you know, tax them till the pips squeak. And I was like, yep, that's that's my policy as well. Um, I, that's where I'm at. I don't have a lot of tears to shed for the, the wealthy among us. At the end of the day, it's the gross salary or the taxable income, which is slightly less than the gross income. I mean, it depends on... Uh, what the partners earn separately, who gets to stay at home, whose income is going to fall away. It depends on a lot of things. I don't know whether we can like generalize and say that, okay, anything above 150 is just being rich. I mean, what would you call it? It's not poor, is it? And it's certainly not middle class. It's upper middle class, if anything. I need to work it out. So if if people have 150 as a taxable income per year, how much would they have per month in their hands? I, I have I no idea to work what the, out what the maths. What, yeah. I'd, I'd have to work it out what after after all the taxes. And that's yeah. that's also, do they have uh, a tax advisor who's finding all the loopholes? How much hmm. do they claim back from the state for their taxes? Are there like a lot of people who claim back everything they can possibly claim? Like within legal limits, I cl we claim back everything that we can claim back. Trying yeah. to claw back m money from the state, yeah, and I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Yeah. Is that if you've got all the receipts and you you you're doing it faithfully and you're doing it by the book mm. and you put in your claim and you get money back from the state, yeah, I've no issues with that. But at the same time, we also know there's there's tax loopholes to be to be found yeah, by yeah, by yeah. clever tax tax advisors. Yeah, 
And I think I think ultimately money, state benefits really should go to the people who need it the most, not the people who need it the least. And you might say that's anti-rich, but yeah. Does people touching support money uh, sends chills down the spine? Mm-hmm. I see where you're coming from because you're like, well, everyone should be entitled to state funding for this quite obvious situation of of, of like having kids mm-hmm. and the meta level i could sort of agree with that but when you drill down into the details and you look at the other elements of german society i feel like nah not really i had a discussion with my father-in-law about the nine euro ticket mm. and and he was like well it should be available to people who who earn a certain level of income mm-hmm. and i was like yeah yeah and he's like well i don't mean you nick because he knew that I earned more than the, the amount that he was thinking about. Yeah. And it's like, because you can afford to buy a train ticket and I can. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like in that respect, I sort of, I, I, as much as I'd like to pay for my train travel at nine euros, it would mm-hmm. be it would be gauche for me to do so if I can afford to actually pay for a ticket on an ICE. Mm-hmm. Like, and how much am I actually going to use it, you know? So there's, there's questions around around that um, as well. Like, ultimately it's it's a personal decision but if they're changing the rules and the people that's going to impact are the wealthiest people in society that's probably the right decision <laughs> if, yeah if if something affects only the wealthiest wealthiest people yeah yeah as we were planned for this week's episode we uh we had a discussion and you uh dilly you passed on a a tweet that you'd seen that was, I think it was a screenshot. It's it's so typical of how social media works. It was a tweet that was a screenshot of an Instagram post. Yep. And uh, it was from a, a fella called Christian who claimed to be a coach and relationship expert, which always sounds suspicious when a bloke says they're a coach. Like as soon as some, some guy goes, I'm a coach, I'll be like, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> and relationship expert. And uh, you, uh, you, you sent it to us saying that there was a bit of an, uh, an odd discussion surrounding this uh, this particular post. Could you read the post for us, Dilly, and tell us what this story is all about? I will read the post and tell you what the story is about. It's in uh, it's in German, and uh, I think what would make sense for the listeners is to know that the person who's writing this and his wife, so Christian and his wife Tanya, are relationship experts, and they are like coaches. They coach. So Christian says. Uh, he's posted a beautiful photo, but I wouldn't say beautiful. He's posted a photo next to the beach and uh, he's at the sea. He's smiling. He's very happy. And he says, wow, so cool. So he's gone away to Tenerife for four days to windsurf. And he's thanking his partner, wife, Tanya, who is rocking it at home with the four boys' hearts. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And you know, thousand times thank you to her uh, for making this possible. He's just arrived the day before, an hour at the sea, and then he's been eating paella, chocolate ice cream, the evening sun. He's been sleeping 11 hours, uh, and he calls this freedom. He says, wow, Freiheit, hello. He says he feels so light. It's like four tons uh, have fallen off of him because Tanya has completely taken over the responsibility. Although she has a cold, the baby has a fever, uh, she's still sent him off on his four-day vacation and um, so that he can reload his batteries. That's the story. Okay. 
Okay, this sounds familiar. Um, hey. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like, right, just familiar. There's, there's a familiarity. We'll get there eventually. What's your take on this post? Were you outraged? My take on this, Nick, is that when I first told you about the story, you said, oh, okay, he's been parenting from a distance. I can relate to it. What? I, I, I mean, are you just projecting your... Oh no! I mean, what I'm what I was thinking about was the fact that, that hey, for... I wasn't done with my sentence. Okay, so... sorry, apologies. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't hear you from all the way down here. It's very hard to hear you from your high horse. So um, Ooh, anyway, right? Okay, I just I don't even have a comeback to it. Um, I'm sure you'll okay. think of one in ten minutes. So I, I mean, none, nothing in that post says that he's been parenting for uh, from a distance. Are you not in danger of kind of? presupposing what happens in the background i mean he he's he's written his itinerary he's yeah. been at the beach he's been windsurfing he's been eating paella chocolate ice cream none of that said i really enjoyed my phone call with the f five of you didn't say that i mean it doesn't make for a good social media post but i mean whether it's intelligent of him to have posted something like this is one discussion but like he might have been full-on parenting up until the moment he got on the plane to go to Tenerife. We don't know that. He might have been. Right? There's a possibility that that could be the case. Is it not, Dilly? I mean, I had like a horror scenario in my head. If you're uh, a mom, you have a cold, the smallest baby has a fever, and there are... Oh, so, come on! The two of you! So, Producer Simon... Simon chipping yeah, in... Producer Simon just put into the chat, perhaps his wife was on a yeah. six-week Thai cooking course. <laughs> While <laughs> so he was at home giving birth to the baby with the fever uh, subsequently. Uh, uh, he's, he's, <laughs> that was a correction there, I think, um, that he was looking after the kids at least. I mean, th that would be my thought is, well, see, I have some sympathy with the idea of needing to take time off. Yeah. Like So, for instance, yeah. this weekend, my wife went with the baby and... Um, uh, my daughter to her parents yeah. for three nights yeah. two nights so Saturday uh, to Monday mm -hmm. and I'm not going to lie it was glorious mm -hmm. like, it's the first time that's happened in in a, in a good chunk of time mm -hmm. I was able to do some sort of basic housework stuff and kind of just get my shit in order and get some sleep and mm -hmm. kind of prepare myself for the, the week ahead mm -hmm. and I don't think that was as much as my wife would have wanted to do that too, she physically can't at the moment while she's got a breastfeed. So, I mean, mm -hmm. like, there was no constellation unless I went with them that would have changed necessarily. And I didn't really need to go. I didn't really want to go either, to be honest. <laughs> so, like, ultimately, and I'm not going to judge this guy. I'll maybe judge him for making the post, but I don't think it's necessary. Nick, but it's what, what you just said, that's a completely different scenario. So it's not like your wife is a wife is on her own she goes to her parents place where she has support and this man doesn't say oh you know thankfully the grandparents are around they live down the street and they will help tanya i mean i'm sorry okay so maybe there could be a thousand different scenario uh, like situations uh, that makes it possible for christian to eat paella for four days or whatever it is but then if you're a relationship expert and a life coach and you 
post this extremely tone deaf message. What's tone deaf about it? I mean, you, you haven't yet explained what it is that you're annoyed about. Is it the fact do you think he's getting away with murder? Yes, I think he's getting away with it. I mean, it is tone deaf to imply that you just left your wife with a cold and a baby with a fever and three other boys with God knows what. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a, it's not something I would promote necessarily and I wouldn't do it on social media. But mm-hmm. I mean, every, everyone can do what they want on social media if it's if it's their choice. I mean, I think he's trying to sort of celebrate the fact that his wife's doing it and is, and is let him go anyway. And let him go anywhere. I mean, but it's nice. I mean, ultimately, like this is this is something that we sort of touched on in the discussion pre-record last week. But uh-huh. something that I'm experiencing is that I'm fully aware that the management of kids, the weight of the management of kids falls more heavily on the birthing partner, as you said, or in this case, my mm. wife, than it does mm. on me. What my role often in within the, the family is helper, mm. support and firefighter right that's mm-hmm. essentially my 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 role i can't breastfeed right so i can't mm-hmm. do that so mm-hmm. i mean the, the question would be if you had a kid would you expect your partner to wake up every time you need to feed the child even though there's nothing that they can do is that an expectation that you would have right and it or is it even better question is it fair for you to expect that from your partner and I would categorically say, no, it's not fair to expect that from your partner, <laughs> unless there's some necessity. Like if my wife is feeding the baby and she wakes me up and goes, get me a glass of water, I'm up, I'm down the stairs before I've even woken up and I'm pouring a glass of water, right? Because that is a requirement. But if it's like, here, Nick, wake up and sit while I'm, sit, sit and keep me company, even though you've got to get up at six in the morning, that is an unrealistic expectation to, to have. So I'm happy to, if there's something that I'm needed and required for, then I could understand why I'd be woken up. But I don't expect, I wouldn't expect that my wife would just wake me up for the sake of waking me up. Mm. What you're saying is that there are certain things that the birthing, that only the birthing partner can do, right? In this moment, but like we've got an older daughter at three years old Mm. and like there's way more I can be doing with her. There's definitely mm. a lot of stuff that I can be doing with her and trying to support as much as possible. And finding that balance has been has been tricky and it's not a, we've not quite sort of worked exactly it out exactly, but certainly we're getting to a point where the balance between like what the, our daughter needs, what the baby needs, what my wife needs and what I need is coming yeah. into some kind of correlation. Mm. But as, I've, as I said to my wife, yeah. when we got married, I was mm. like, you do realize I'm the least important person in this relationship, right? I was fully aware of that situation because she makes a lot of a lot more of the decisions mm. on certain certain things. On, for instance, how we spend money because I'm crap with money, mm. so she makes a lot of decisions on that front, and I'm happy mm. for it to do that. Mm. When we just talk about it, I'm not some kind of um, lower order here, but like I was fully aware that in the, in the dynamic of our relationship. Mm. I'm the muscle and she's the brains. Mm. And that's always been the situation. Mm-hmm. And when we had our daughter, I said to her, you do realize I'm the th- I'm the third most important person in this family now. And Aww. she laughed, right? Because it's true, right? Because ultimately that is potentially the role. Yeah, there's stuff that I do that's important and mm. it's very important to have a father in, in the household. I know that better than most given my, my personal background. But the fact of the matter is, I'm still just support. I'm water carrying, I'm fixing, I'm, I'm helping. I'm trying to be an emotional support 
in, in a lot mm. of ways to, mm. to both my daughter and my wife. And those things are very background mm. sort of things. I can't speak for, for, for Christian, but I'll tell you something that's really fucks us off and has fucked us off for weeks mm. is the amount of times, and this is something that I don't think blokes really want to talk about because they get a, a fucking earful. Mm. Uh, certainly wouldn't talk about it online, but I'm going to do it on the podcast. Is And something I've told you already is the amount of times women will ask me that I work with or work mm. around or know me, go, oh, how are you? How's the baby? And mm. I'll go, you know, the baby's fine. I'm a bit tired. And mm. their response nearly 100% of the time is, oh, not as tired as your wife though, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's basically like, well, you're just not that fucking important. Do you know what? I know that, right? And the worst bit about it is the idea that I don't know that. Like the assumption is that they're telling me this information yeah. as if yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And equally, I can handle being the support and being the sort of, background right i just don't need people pointing it out all the fucking time but also like I, i mean it's not like what you bring into the relationship is in any way secondary there is an importance and that taxes you right you need energy for that yeah exactly so we don't know what this guy has been doing in the background he, he you might be right for for we know uh this christian guy coach relationship expert is like the worst parent that's ever existed and he's promoting it um or he might be a fantastic parent and he's not very good at social media i don't know i just could think be, that, like could be that's a good point maybe he is just a very does not read between his own lines kind of person <laughs> but i think there's like a there is an instant desire to belittle the role of the husband or the father in these dynamics Like watch any kids TV show. Mm. The only TV show where I've watched where the father is in any way sensible, it's in the Connie stories or as it to Totoro is another one that my daughter likes, right? Mm. And mostly because the dad doesn't really say anything. He's just there, right? And Connie, he's basically, he's fine, but he forgets things all the time. He's always forgetful. Or he's always doing this and that and the other. And it, and it does create this sense that that for some reason that the, the husbands and fathers are like the dim-witted sidekick to it all. And fine, I can live with that, but it's not a reality. And I think also that the, the sort of, the instant desire to burn men at the stake for doing things that, that some might find objectionable the instinct to do that seems quite powerful in a lot of ways and it's mm. like it's never as bad as as it looks and i think in order for us to lambast this guy for his decisions you have to know more information and i'd like to think that we wouldn't presuppose i mean i'm already presupposing him because he calls himself a coach and a relationship expert those two things just seem like bullshit to me so i'll judge him for that but i'm not necessarily going to judge him on his on his relationship dynamic who knows what his relationship with his wife is who knows what 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 he does in the background like i don't know yeah that would be my sort of take on it yeah 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 so dilly right you know when you go to the club And you're like, you buy some like drugs off someone in a club and like, you don't really know what's in them. And it's a bit of a risk. You, you know, when that happens, like, have you ever thought, wouldn't it be a good like situation if there's a way of finding out what kind of drugs I'm actually taking? Um, you know what I mean? You've been in this situation, right? I, I absolutely every weekend. 
I am absolutely the target audience for your question. Tell me more. I'm not even the target audience. I'm not even the target audience for this question. I haven't been to a club for God knows how long. 10 years here, probably. Oh, right. For you. Yeah. It's probably been about four years, three years, maybe two years, maybe two years. Let's say two years. I think the last club I went to was a, a German themed bar in, in Sheffield. It didn't go well. The, the example I have presented to you is certainly something that um, younger people than us perhaps might have experienced. And it's possibly the reason for the the sort of growth in drug testing at events and festivals uh, for people will bring their drugs with them to these events and uh, they'll be able to get them tested to find out what um, the drugs contain. And it's a way of kind of ensuring that although certain drugs are obviously still illegal, there's mm -hmm. a safety process in place whereby you can prevent yourself from maybe taking something that you'll regret later down the line. And this is an initiative that's going gangbusters in Berlin at the moment. This process of, of having facilities where drug checks can be done. And it's something that I think is, is actually really forward thinking. And part of the motivation for uh, these facilities popping up in Berlin has been uh, the deaths of several young people from taking things like ecstasy, which is a, I mean, that's a story that's been going on for the majority of my life. I remember the similar stories happening in the 90s. Mm -hmm. But since the beginning of June, it's been possible in Berlin to have drugs you want to take tested in advance. And this is actually called, yay for Denglish, drug checking. Mm -hmm. oh, don't you just love a gerund, Dilly? Mm. Uh, it's a new model for drug prevention that the Berlin Senate itself has actually set up called drug checking, as I said. And in the last few days, it's become pretty topical mm -hmm. because there's been instances over the last week or so an instance in uh, Mecklenburg-Vorpommern where a 13-year-old took an ecstasy tablet and, and passed away. Another um, in Brandenburg where a 15-year-old took a lethal dose of some, of some drug or other. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not yet clear what the substance is. Mm -hmm. And in Halle, in, in your neck of the woods, Saxony, Arnhol, an 18-year-old died after taking um, ecstasy at a party. So these uh, illegal substances are are pretty widely available, but there isn't actually uh, in place a way of checking their quality or, or their, their ingredients due to the fact that they're, they are legal. It sounds very sensible, I must it say. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, doesn't yeah. it? I think it's a pretty sensible idea. Very non-judgmental come to us. We mm. might take a week, but you know, we'll get back to you. So yeah, if you're inclined, you can take your illegal substances to a counseling center in Berlin or Schlottenburg, for instance, and they'll do a test for you. And this involves a kit that you sort of hand your drugs over. They check the, the pills, powders, liquids, whatever it is that you've got, and they do a, a full kind of check on it. Uh, they also photograph it uh, and they send the, the details off to the laboratory. And once the results are available, you can you get a phone call and you go and pick your drugs back up. What they say in the article I read, they said that they do not make any consumption recommendations at the advice center, but only provide general information about guideline values and ingredients. The quote was, the decision as to whether people will take drugs is something they have to make for themselves. So it does feel like non-judgmental mm -hmm. uh, as much as possible. Yeah. And uh, I kind of feel like this is one of those things that would freak out a lot of conservatives but actually makes uh, like it's very makes a lot of sense pragmatic yeah pragmatic policy yeah. i would yeah. say because god knows what is in a lot of the stuff that that people take I mean, yeah 
and also having i mean i live in, in newcastle is a city that is i mean drugs are pretty freely available i'll give you an example of the the, the freedom with which drugs are available mm. this was only maybe it was a couple of christmases ago and i went into it was boxing day the mm. day after christmas day and i went to a pub and I walked in and I've got one, like I've, at the time I was wearing like a big overcoat and, mm. and, and I walked in, I'm a big guy <laughs> and, and four guys at the urinals and they went, oh God. And they totally freaked out. And I went, and I like went for a piss and the, the, I heard over the, over the stall, mm. oh, you're not a bouncer, are you? And I was like, no, I'm not a bouncer. And they were like, oh God, we thought you were a bouncer. Whoa. And I was like, why were you worried about bounce, bouncers? And they were like, here, do you want some drugs? And he, <laughs> And he literally had a key, a key with a white substance on it. And they were like passing it to me. And I was oh, like, shit. nah, mate, I'm all right. Thanks. My policy is don't take unknown white powder off of keys and dirty pub toilets. It's a pretty good policy to have. And like, God knows what it was. Could have been pretty much anything. Um, but they seemed to be having a very good time. Um, my guess would be it was some kind of, uh, it was either cocaine or speed because they were very loud when they came back to the bar later on. And that's always a good indicator of someone who's been taking cocaine as they talk very loudly with a ridiculous amount of unearned confidence. So, oh, that's, fudge me. Okay. Okay. Yeah, a lot of things used- in my life make sense right now. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> then, once you realize the <laughs> symptoms, you can recognize it quite quickly. And uh, I mean, that's the truth of a lot of things in Newcastle. There's a lot of, a lot of, party drugs are available it's a party city and so this is a kind of policy where you're like this would make a lot of sense and in britain they've had um there's charities that have been doing this for years basically you could call out a charity to do it but um recently and this is thanks to producer simon's investigations he sent me an article from the nme where they're actually charging now you've got to have like a license to do drug tests like the government's just decided oh now you need to have a license and it costs this much money to do drug testing. And it's basically shutting down that process because mm. people can't afford to take up some ridiculous license that's just been created. Mm. And I think I think that's the, the way that a lot of governments are dealing with this. It's like, all right, drugs are bad. We'll have to prevent them. How can we prevent them? Well, we'll just make it even less safe. We'll put people's lives at risk by taking away any safety measure. And I'm kind of like, well people are going to take drugs aren't they like people it doesn't matter how they get them people are still going to take drugs and might as well find a way of making them as safe as possible do you think the uh, the licensing was a way of monetizing because drugs aren't going away i think it's rather a case of like we don't want this to be done and so we're going to find a way of effectively killing it oh okay. um, and and, it, and it's been happening in, in music festivals mostly yeah uh and the charity itself is called The Loop, uh, who have volunteers who go and do testing and at different events. Mm. But now you've got to apply for a license 48 hours before uh, you begin testing. The Loop, this group, this is from the NME article, mm. were recently informed that they had to apply for a license 48 hours before they were actually set to begin testing at a, a festival. Mm. And it can take 16 weeks for a license to be approved. And so now they can't do any drug checks at the event that they were intending to take part in and it just seems a little bit a bit ridiculous really mm-hmm. and that it seems like another kind of policy that doesn't really make any sense yeah yeah i was just thinking that it's a bit like oh let's look at all the good things we have going and see what we can kill off you know because yeah uh, i mean it's essential i mean it's also making people 
responsible for mm-hmm. their health, uh, what they put into their bodies, and I think there can't be enough of that. Well, interestingly, the other comparison that producer Simon pulled was mm. um, a group, a community organization made up of volunteers called Know Your Stuff NZ, mm. I think it is, and they're in New Zealand. Mm. Uh, it's publicly funded drug checking program, wow. which in- also includes uh, needle exchanges to sort of reduce the harms of uh, drug use. Mm. And it's free of charge to, to people who use it. And again, I think it's just a, a bit of forward think in policy. Really? So I, I can only commend the, the system they've got in Berlin. Um, what was interesting though is, and this is the other side of it, is you as an individual get your drugs checked and you can find out what's in them. Mm. But you also, by your attendance at something like this, you, you give over some data, to the, data mm. that you just wouldn't have otherwise about mm. who uses drugs and what strata of society mm. and all of these different things. And that, that data is quite interesting when you delve into it because mm. what, they, what they've said in Berlin is that people using the, surface, the services mm. of, of drug checking are, are very mixed. Mm. All ages are there. Uh, most of the people who want to go to f- festivals mm. or plan to have a party, or even just those people who plan on taking some drugs on their own uh, in, in their like apartment or the mm. home. And they also pointed out that because a lot of the the drug checking, or at least the drug checking example they've got in this article from Süddeutsche Zeitung, it's at a I think it's a gay advice center, mm. uh, and it said that many people in the sort of uh, LGBTQ community mm. are like like early adopters to new drugs so they can see trends running through society mm. from like beginning to end. Mm. Uh, and, and and they were talking about like how you can see the market developing, mm. which is again, like it, it's information that you could use, that the police could use. It's information that, mm. that charities could use, health groups mm. could use. It's information that's beneficial to all, all different aspects of the, of the whole thing. And they said that the the demand's really, really massive. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they have to turn people away uh, because they, they just don't have the capacity. That's a shame. But yeah, and it's uh, the expansion of it would make make a lot of, of sense. Exactly. Uh, what, what he said is, the, 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 I think there was one of the, the laboratory experts, mm. was, I think it was a pharmacist, he said that it's not a, a tiff for drugs, like a <laughs> um, uh, like the tiff that you get for your car to make yeah. sure that it's roadworthy, or yeah. like for a lot of things, the tiff will come and do a test to see if uh, if, if your, your sockets are working properly or whatever. Mm. But what it can do is limit the damage. And in fact, the Berlin system isn't half as, as expansive as it is in places like Zurich and Vienna. Mm-hmm. Where this, uh, the the drug testers are at uh, road events, festivals, lots of different places that you wouldn't expect mm. to see them, and obviously there's a question about with a new government in in Berlin, will this continue? This was an initiative from the uh, l- uh, left SPD and Green government uh, that was launched back in 2018. So mm. hopefully we won't see that kind of thrown in the bin like so many other policies we've seen, kind of disrupted by the transfer of power to. The, C- the CDU-led uh, coalition, and yeah, I just think it's. I think it, overall, it, it it could be more expansive. It could be better funded. If we're talking about taking tax money out of out of the pockets of the wealthy, here's somewhere where we might want to put some tax money. Right? Here's where you can channel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah good stuff. But I had one question though. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine that with the resources, uh, you have to take your time maybe one week to get the results back do they expect people to not use the rest of the drugs at home while they wait one week i guess the hope is that they're not just gonna bash them out as soon as they get the opportunity 
And it's, it's bizarre. Like, it does feel very German that, like, I have bought some illegal drugs and I will keep them in a box until I know exactly what is in them and then I will take them. Um, yeah. Once I know how much, how, how, what the consistency is of them. Uh, I mean, that's a bit of a stereotype. But I guess if you're taking, if you're taking party drugs, you're waiting for a party, right? But the question would be, what do you do if you're um, offered drugs at a, a party or event or a festival? Do you hand over the drugs and then, like, wait a week and return return back to the festival See, and hope it's still going or, this or is, what, you know? This, this drug talk is really not my neck of the woods. I'm really not used to it, but I would assume that you don't plan weeks ahead to take drugs and that you would have the specific drugs in your hand. I I, I, I don't know. Enlighten me, Nick. I am not familiar with this stuff. I am certainly no expert, but my assumption would be you buy drugs, you take drugs. That would be my assumption. But yeah, I guess in yeah. this instance, there's people who are maybe looking at it um, with a little bit more of a, a long-term um, thought process. Uh, and I, actually, I think it's it's quite sensible when it when the article in question that we were talking about from Sue Deutsche Zeitung was mm. talking about the this, these ecstasy pills that potentially killed people across Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, they were a very particular type. They had they were blue and they had like a triangle shape, and they had Punisher badges like skulls like stamped into them. Mm-hmm. And so they were quite they sort of stood out. But it was also talking about the kinds of chemicals they find in people's drugs so mm-hmm. they said that there was they found cocaine laced with anesthetic uh stimulant ex- ecstasy which was actually ketamine oh, um really high dose mdma and they said well actually this is really dangerous because for a person who who, who like takes some um md like if you smoke too much weed you might whitey right you might have a really bad time it's probably not going to kill you but if you take like M- mdma and, and and you take an overdose of it you can't get it out of your system you just have to treat the symptoms and that's the the danger of it is there isn't really much you can do yeah. once once you're having a really bad time on mdma and so it'd be good to know what quantity of mdma you've got available to you um, that would be quite nice to know if your pill is actually 100% or 50% or if it's going to totally blow your mind. I suppose it's a bit uncharitable of me if I were to think, okay, so I can go back to my dealer and ask for some money back because it was not the pure cocaine <laughs> yeah. that I thought it would be. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I would say, I would say d- d- you never go back, right? <laughs> never go. You certainly don't go back with a complaint. Ah, really? I, I I thought like you know you have your little customer service rep and and, and a no, complaints form. Most dealers that I've ever met don't really, uh, or the ones I met certainly in Newcastle didn't have a, a like a <laughs> suggestion box and a complaints department. I'm afraid Google reviews. They? Um, <laughs> they just had a coat full of drugs, oh, uh, which okay. you could you could buy or not buy, but you certainly couldn't complain about them. I remember a friend of mine uh, was once like. He suggested that I would loosen up if I were to do weed. Oh, they, right, that sounds. There are some things yeah, a bit sure. wrong with that. <laughs> I was I was a bit uptight, apparently. But this is it, right? But like you, maybe, maybe, maybe or I am. You get really sick really quickly, and the room starts spinning, and you hate it. It depends, you know. I mean, it's again, then you won't be with... upright anymore. <laughs> well, you're dealing, but I mean, you won't be uptight. You'll be on the floor crying. But like, uh, this is the thing, right? Even with something like as, an, as basically innocuous as cannabis, like caffeine, nicotine, and and alcohol is to, at least regulated. Mm. But with illegal substances, there's no regulation. There's no guarantee that because you bought 
a, um, a particular drug mm. or substance from yeah. an individual yeah. that the next time you go to buy it, it'll be the same levels yeah. and quantities. Yeah. It's it's that's not how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've learned in the mean meantime that like if you if you do buy weed. Some strains do this to you, and another strain can make you more tired and more relaxed. Another can make you like very hyper, whatever it is. Just just random information I've collected along the way. But it's useful information, yeah. It's useful information. So, um, wait, if you recommend that I do weed, does it mean that you do weed? It's like, yeah, sometimes it's like, oh, cool. So, where do you buy it? And he looked like I was from the German Secret Service. Oh yeah, yeah, you would never. It's not a question you ask. That's that's like the uh, the un, the unwritten code. Yeah, I didn't know that. And then, unless he, you're in Amsterdam, in which case you go that shop over there. <laughs> <laughs> and what he 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 went like completely like suspicious, and he said Amsterdam, but this was a German friend, so I was pretty sure the way he got defensive that he did not bite in Amsterdam. <laughs> You just don't just don't ask questions. I mean, the truth. The, 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 don't the, the, tell the, the, me. You know, don't give me drug recommendations that I never asked for, right? Well, I mean, I, I, I always, I'm always curious if somebody's like, "Oh, you should take this drug." I'll be like, "Yeah, maybe you should shut up." But the <laughs> the other side of it would be like the thing, like drugs, like cannabis is, is, is an example. It, the danger of cannabis mm-hmm. is that you just have no, you just become lethargic, and you have no motivation to do anything. Oh, really? And that's the actually that's the truth of that. Like, yeah, you will relax because that's the aim of like a lot of strains of cannabis is to make you really relaxed oh, okay. but at the same time you feel generally apathetic you don't want to do stuff that you maybe wanted to do before it can be very therapeutic in a lot of instances mm. but in other instances it, it, it might not be mm. but um, i'd never recommend someone do something yeah you like, and you also would probably wouldn't diagnose your friends of being uptight i'm pretty sure i mean i, I couldn't possibly comment dilly <laughs> <laughs> That brings us to the end of the show. We are off to Berlin to get our drugs checked. Does paracetamol and ibuprofen count, Dilly? I'm pretty sure they're drugs, right? Uh, <laughs> you're asking the right person. As usual, <laughs> when it comes to drugs, yes, they do, Nick. <laughs> okay, good. I'll bring them with me. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, or lowercase, on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algerman. You can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on DecadesFromHome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss! Tschüss.